0: Rabbi Sachs is a world-renowned scholar, philosopher, religious leader. He's an author of 25 books and a leading moral voice. He served as the chief rabbi of the United Hebrew Congregations of the Commonwealth from September 1991 until September of 2013. In 2005, Rabbi Lord Sachs was knighted by Her Majesty the Queen and uh, has taken his seat in from October 2009 at the House of Lords. Rabbi Sachs will be in and out, because if I understand correctly, he can only be outside of the United Kingdom for so long and remain uh, a member of the House of Lords. So he will be coming back and forth, both to be at YU and at NYU as well, uh, over the coming semester and beyond. Uh, just one quick thought to introduce... In this week's Parsha V'yichuli Truma, we have the, the, uh, the mitzvah of tzedakah, of giving to an institution, something I'm speaking about a lot these days, about the collecting for an institution of Torah. Teruma, though, means to, to raise somebody up. The mitzvah of tzedakah is unique, in the sense that it truly raises up the individual who's involved with it. One who gives tzedakah, especially one who gives tzedakah to the poor... Really serves as an agent of the Ribona Shalom. I'm doing some reading about this this week to prepare for a sheer that a person who gives tzedakah really serves it. The money is really going through you to the person, from Baruch Baruchu to the individual who's receiving the money. And in that sense, you sort of serve as a shaliach. You actually serve as an agent of the Ribona Shalom. It's true with other mitzvahs on some level as well. But there is a special feeling when one gives tzedakah that they're serving somehow to do something, to help keviachol, almost to to serve, to function on behalf of the Rebam HaShalom. Uh, the opportunity to hear Rabbi Sak speak is to get a little bit of that sense of someone who's coming uh, from a different perspective, On some level, a perspective of an outsider, someone from the United Kingdom coming to the American Jewish community and the Yeshiva University community to speak, but also someone who's coming with a voice to sort of look from above, to sort of look and help us appreciate the Yiddishkeit that we have and the opportunities that we have to practice Yiddishkeit, to sort of take a step back and to put into perspective what it means to be a Jew, what it means to be an Orthodox Jew, what it means to be an Orthodox Jew today. It is really our great privilege to have him with us today and for the coming months and years introduce you for the first time in his current role, uh, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. Kvodah Rav,
1: Rabbanim, friends. It's a, it's a huge... Honor to be with you. And I confess that uh, I'm very humbled by the sight of this extraordinary Bez Medrash. Um, we don't have anything quite like this where I come from, so uh, thank you for the thrill of being in your company. And I was asked to uh, speak today, am I right? On the true path to inner happiness, about which. Uh, My immediate response was, how have I that I should know? And if any of you know, please tell me. Um, But it was a challenge. True path to inner happiness. What is it so to make choices in life that the journey you take takes you to inner happiness? So I thought about this very hard and very reflectively. And I want to share with you some things that helped me along the way and uh, I'm going to give you seven things because ever since Stephen Covey wrote his seven secrets of whatever it is seven is a good number mind you after beratius chapter one seven is also a good number so here you are seven principles of finding inner happiness number one dream first rule in life dream if you want to know the most practical thing you can possibly do, especially in your student years, is dream. Vayachalom sulam mutzav You think about it. Avram Avinu is the beginner, the pioneer, the chalutz, the first person to hear God commanding lech lechom He's the founder. Yitzchak. The man who is willing to be most fish to be sacrificed, to stare eyeball to eyeball with Malach with the angel of death. And yet we are descended not from Avram, not from Yitzchak, but we are Zera Yaakov, we are Beit Yisrael, B'nai Yisrael. Why Jacob? Because I think Jacob is the one of the patriarchs who has his most intense experiences alone at night. Number one, the dream of the ladder stretching from earth to heaven. Number two, his lonely encounter with the angel Aveki Vekishimo. And I would say that that moment at night, when your mind freewheels, dream. And that is the most fundamental thing you can do. Now, why do I say this? Because you are faced today... Everyone is faced today with a society that has more choices, opportunities, possibilities than ever anyone has ever experienced before. The sociologist Peter Berger says modernity is the movement from fate to choice. Until the modern age, by and large, you were what you were born into: the social class, the religion, the the even the economic, even your Occupation you were born into that was fate. Modernity means the move from fate to choice, and there is, as some of you may know, something called the paradox of choice. If you set up in a supermarket a stall with six different jams, and you s- somebody else sits u- sets up a stall with a hundred and six different jams, who will sell the more jam? Anyone know? Yeah. The six, exactly. That is the paradox of choice. There's a whole book on this called The Paradox of Choice. Which means sometimes you can be so overwhelmed with choices that you give up. Do I know if there are 106 different jams, what jam I want? But if there are only six, that I can make. So we suffer today from the paradox of choice. We can be overwhelmed by the sheer options that are available to us. And these can concern us, um, these can just, you know, so that we get lost. What do I want to be? What do I want to do? And therefore, I want to propose a principle uh, that you may find helpful in making your life choices. Uh, It's a sentence that I wrote in a book of mine called To Heal a Fractured World, It is the result of a lot of thinking on this subject. And it says the following. Where what you want to do meets what needs to be done, that is where Hashem wants us to be. Do you get that sentence? There are two elements here. What you want to do, what your passion is. Where that meets what needs to be done. Is there an objective need out there in the world? So you have to be sensitive to two things. What you want to do, and what needs to be done. And as soon as you find that conjunction between what you want to do and what needs to be done, that is Hashem whispering in your ear, that is where I need you to be. Doing my work for the sake of Am Yisrael and for the sake of Hakadosh Baruch, I don't know. Do any of you watch TED talks on the uh, on on the internet? Uh, th- we have an Englishman we sent out here, and he he's one of the mo- most highly watched. If any of you watch Ken Robinson's talks on TED, you will find that that. Ken Robinson is the world's expert on teaching you to follow your passion. Find your element. And that is incredibly, incredibly important. <inaudible> follow your passion. That's where what you want to do. And you have to objectively explore the world to find out how the world needs that passion in a practical sense. And when you have those two in conjunction you will know what you want to be but I say that the most practical thing you can do in life right now is to dream it's not the least practical it is the most practical why so? because to my amazement I have discovered that people can spend months planning a vacation but not even one day planning a life And I have to tell you that Chazal meant something very, very deep. When they said, "Kol makom Whenever you see the word Vayehi and it came to pass, that's bad news. That's what Chazal said. If you just treat yourself as, I'll see what turns up, I'll see what job opportunities open up. If you're, if you're saying Vayahi, let's see what happens. That is Lashon That is a preliminary to bad news. Do not let life happen to you. Do not be a Vayahi person. Be a Yahi person. That is how God created the universe. Yahi, let there be. That is how you will create your universe. Be proactive, but you will only be proactive if you know where you really desire to be, what you really desire to become and for that you need to dream. And you need to give yourself that capacity that Yaakov Avinu gave himself to dream dreams. Jews were b'shu et shivat ziyon Jews were the people who lived their dreams. We were the dreamers of history. From Joseph to Sigmund Freud We dreamt dreams and we interpreted the dreams of others. Rule one, if you want to know what you should be doing right now, dream. I may have sent many of you to sleep already, so many of you are doing the practical. That's number one. Number two, if you want to know what needs to be done, as opposed to what you dream of doing, go and find out. I urge you, throughout your student years and for as long as you possibly can thereafter for a lifetime read books discuss ideas travel make sure you know what the world actually looks like before you make your decision there's a story forgive me if you've heard it because I've told it more than once but when I was 20 years old how old are you guys around that roughly around that 1968 long time ago Otherwise known as the Jurassic Age. In those days, many years ago, you know, I wanted to know. You know, I was studying at university. I didn't. We don't have a yeshiva university in Anglo-Jewish. I was studying at a university called Cambridge. I wanted to know what is the Jewish world like. And so, you know, I, 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 there was a charter flight to the States that summer. In those days, you could get a ticket on a Greyhound bus for a hundred dollars. You could try unlimited travel. Do they still do this on Greyhound buses? That's all I had, so that's all we did. I took a, bought a hundred dollar ticket, a Greyhound bus, and I set off to meet all the rabbis in America. <coughs> in 1966, there was a lot of theological controversy. There was, if you'll forgive the words, a debate called it was called the death of God. You know, there were a lot of Christian bishops saying, etc., etc., there were Nietzscheans, and there was a whole big debate about this in Britain, Bishop of Woolwich, and so on, and there was a debate in America, and there was a magazine in America called Commentary, I think it's still there, isn't it, Commentary magazine, 1966, called The Condition of Jewish Belief, they asked 50 leading rabbis in America what their views were. So I bought a Greyhound bus ticket and I set out to meet those 50 rabbis who had answered the questions in commentary magazine. Whenever, wherever I went, uh, I went right around the States and Canada, I went to Toronto and Montreal and places, I would meet rabbis and we'd discuss these things, I would phone up or knock on the door and say, I've just come 3,000 miles to meet you could you spare me half an hour? Now, it's quite difficult to say no to that kind of chutzpah, even if they haven't got a clue who you are or why should you be talking. Um, and w- when you're in Los Angeles, I was able to say I've come 5,000 miles. So it was really good stuff. Wherever I went, I discovered that people would say to me, you know, if you're going around meeting rabbis, there's a rabbi you ought to meet. And they always mentioned one of two names, whether they were Orthodox rabbis, not Orthodox rabbis. They would all mention to me, Rabbi Soloveitchik and the Lubavitcher Rebbe so I decided I had to meet the Lubavitcher Rebbe and Rabbi Soloveitchik um, and so Baruch Hashem, in the summer of 68 I had my first with the Lubavitcher Rebbe and I sat here I don't know it wasn't this building was it was this the original Is the, was this around in 68 I think it may even yes. have been this building yes. where the Rav used to give Yashir in what? Anyway, one way or another, you know, it's a very long story, and I'm not going to bore you with it, but he sat with me in the corridor while his guys were preparing the shear. I don't know if it was for an hour or two hours. We sat together, and can you imagine a 20-year-old kid from England, from nowhere, having a long conversation with the Ravzitzal, and having a long conversation with the Babavitcher Ravva. And those things were life-changing. Now, believe you me, I was nobody. Baruch Hashem, I still am nobody. But in those days, I was really nobody. And yet, if you have enough chutzpah, you can go out and meet the Lubavitch. Well, not now, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) Etc., etc. What I'm saying is, number two, once you have a rough sense of where your passion lies, really take the trouble. Not only to decide on your destination, but get to know the map and the territory. Go out there, read the books. I spend a lot of time to this day reading books on almost any subject because I'm looking for interesting minds with interesting things to say. And you have to open yourself up to that kind of thing and and search. A Jewish life is always a journey. It always begins with words Lech Lecha. A Kodesh Baruch who says to Avram, if you are going to be the founder of the new faith, if you are going to be creative, if you are willing to be the kind of person about whom they say Kola if you are willing to be different, then Lech Lecha. Go, leave your comfort zone. Leave the place where everyone knows you. And just travel to lands whether physical or of the mind that you haven't been to before so my second element in finding a life of happiness is to see the map and the territory otherwise just knowing the destination will not be good enough number three you have to experiment you have to take risks you have to grow Razal were divided, as you probably know, over their interpretation of the phrase when it came it comes to Noach. Noach was an ish tzaddik tamim noach. That phrase tamim hayab is that in praise or is it in criticism? Some say. It is praise. If he was that great in a wicked generation, in the generation of tzaddikim, like Avram, how much greater would he have been? And number two, the other view which is critical is that in his generation where there were no tzaddikim, he stood out. But in a generation of other tzaddikim, he would have been a nobody. What is at stake between these two views of Chazal? There is a book I urge you to read by a psychologist at Stanford University called Carol Dweck. Have you come across the name? She wrote a little book called Mindset. I think you ought to read this book. This book, although I don't know if Carol Dweck is Jewish, it sounds Jewish to me, sounds sparty to me, is precisely on that Machlokit Chazal, about Noach. Although she doesn't mention Chazal or Noach or anything Jewish at all. But she was very interested in this question. Why is it, when you look at kids, young children, some children seem to grow, some children seem to flourish in school, in life, and others who may be more gifted somehow don't reach their full potential. And she was absolutely fascinated by this. And she made one major discovery. It's a very simple book because it simply puts forward one proposition. And she holds as follows. That you can divide children and adults for that matter into two types. Those with a fixed mindset and those with a growth mindset. Those with a fixed mindset see their gifts, their capacities, as something given at birth, something they have, which is determined. It's not going to change very much. And there are other people who see life as a matter of learning and of development. And they don't think of themselves as having a fixed potential. They simply try and sometimes succeed and sometimes fail. That's a growth mindset. People with a fixed mindset, she says, are risk-averse. They will work within their comfort zone. They will take on challenges they know they can handle. But they will be intimidated, nervous, and reluctant to engage in challenges that they can't handle. Because if they fail, they will take that as the blow to their self-esteem. Whereas people with a growth mindset don't even think in terms of failure. They don't define failure as failure. They see failure as a learning experience. Those who have a growth mindset go on to flourish. And those who have a fixed mindset do not. And it seems to me that that is precisely what Chazal were debating about Noah. Did he have a fixed mindset? Did he have a growth mindset? If he had a fixed mindset, then in an age of Abraham he wouldn't have been any bigger. But if he had a growth mindset, then he would have been inspired by Abram's example to reach even higher. That is precisely the machlokis of Chazal. We have a lady writer in Britain. I'm sure her books never got to America but she wrote a children's book, and she sent it to 12 publishers, all of whom turned it down. Anyone know the name of this writer? J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling, indeed. Now, I don't know, you, anyone written a book in this room? <laughs> I, you know what it's like when you get your first rejection? It's a blow. It really is, believe you me. To get 12 rejections, that's a serious blow. But if you're a J.K. Rowling, you don't let that stop you. Because you don't think in terms of failure, okay, that's a growth experience, I keep going. There was a writer who wrote a book about children that got rejected by 21 publishers. He was on the brink of despair, but no, he keeps going. His name was William Golding. His book was called Lord of the Flies, and in 1983, he was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature. We had... When I was chief rabbi until for 22 years, we lived in St John's Wood, and between us and the shul was a road that I don't know whether any of you have heard about. This again goes back to the Jurassic era, called Abbey Road. Anyone heard of Abbey Road? <laughs> uh, so I used to pass by the studio every that zebra crossing, the famous zebra crossing. Uh, that's that was on our direct path to shul. So I used to pass every day the place where the Beatles made all their recordings in 1962, January they had their first audition Decca Records the, the, uh, the uh, Decca Records heard the Beatles and they passed the following judgment, the Beatles have no future in show business so one way or another do not ever get derailed by failure the terror asks us to have a growth mindset one of the great teachings of the Rav itself was, you know, ishalacha. halachic man, is creative and is great his greatest creation is himself. The whole concept of tshuva is growth. The whole reason that Yehuda becomes ancestor of Israel's kings, becomes greater even than Yosef, is that Yehuda was somebody who was capable of growth the person who was capable of selling his brother into slavery, became the person who and the, ultimately was willing to remain himself a slave for life so that his brother could go free. Moshe Rabbeinu, the man who said, Lo ish Gam t'mol, kvad The man who couldn't speak, who said, Lo <laughs> ish I'm not a man of devarim, became the author of the finest speeches ever given in history called Sefer divari. The Torah presents to us models of personal growth. So dream, travel, literally and metaphysically, and grow. Number four, work. Sorry to say this because you know this already and all your teachers, but you have to work hard. Uh, no achievement without work. Any of you read Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers? So what is the, what's the basic figure there? 10,000 Ten thousand hours. hours. That's how long it takes. That's how long it took Mozart. That's how long it took Beethoven. That's how long it took Monet. That's how long it took Michelangelo. There is no achievement without hard work. There is a very powerful sentence in Parsha's bow that we all know, which goes as follows. When your children say to you, what does this service mean to you? And Chazal came along and identified this as the question of the Russia. And the question is, what word in that sentence led Chazal to conclude that the, this sentence is talking about a Russia? Number one, we have the explanation of the haggadah itself. For the haggadah, the key word is what? Lachem. Lachem, Lachem v'lolo. That is the word that indicates That is the one word that indicates we're dealing with the Rosha. He says, What does it mean to you? Not what does it mean to me. According to the the key word is Yomru normally you ask a question here the child is defined not as asking a question but as saying a question therefore when you ask a question you want the answer but here it's Yomru not Yishalu and therefore he is asking not in order to seek the answer but in order to criticize however according to the Yushalmi, the key word is avoda. What is all this hard work? And the Yushalmi is really very Kharif. Because if you look at the first chapter of Shemot, what is the key word? Avodah. What were they suffering from in Egypt? From slavery, from Avodah. What was liberation? Serving God. So the Rosha says, there we were Avodim, here we are Avodim, and now, all that's happened is a change of masters. There we were Avodim to Pharaoh, and now we're Avodim to Ekarosh Baruch, Hu. but we haven't gained at all. There it was Avodah, here it was Avodah. What the Rosha doesn't understand is that any achievement takes Avodah, takes hard work. And in Judaism, serving God is hard work. You cannot achieve anything without hard work and the greatness of Judaism is it applies this to matters of the spirit as well as matters of the body Judaism by asking great things of us made us great a teacher will set the hardest challenges to the brightest students God set us tough challenges and that is what made us great because it is hard work So, rule four in life. Once you have found your derech, once you've dreamt your dreams, seen the territory, been prepared to travel, you will have to work hard. Number five. (coughs) Hmm. The person I really wanted to psychoanalyze when I was young was coherent. Here is the man who had everything. The, uh, not just an apartment, an apartment block, Trump Tower, whatever it is, on Fifth Avenue, second home in Join les his au pair drives a Lamborghini. He had everything. You name it. And yet, Havel Havalim HaKol Havel, nothing in all that he owns and possesses, the palaces, the gardens, the servants, the maidservants, all the books, even the wisdom that he accumulated, nonetheless he does not find inner happiness. What is Kohalas missing? And I found the answer to this on that occasion that I meant to, mentioned to you a few minutes ago when I was 20 years old and I was sitting in 770 waiting to meet the Lubavitcher writer. The Hasidim told me a story, which I repeat to you as follows. The Rebbe spoke, uh, the Rebbe before he became Rebbe was head of Chabad Publishing House, which meant that he knew all the typographical symbols. i published 25 books, I still haven't learned the typographical symbols. So whenever the Rebbe could use a typographical symbol rather than using words, he used these symbols as a kind of shorthand. And the Hasidim sitting outside the Rebbe's study, told me the following story back there in 68. I never forgot it. Somebody wrote the Rebbe the following, uh, a letter on the following lines. I need the Rebbe's help. I am deeply de- depressed. I wake up every day wondering why I am here. I learn Torah, but it doesn't do anything for me. I keep mitzvahs, but I am uninspired. I need the Rebbe's advice. And the Rebbe wrote back the most brilliant reply and it did not contain a single word. All he did was, he drew a circle around the first word in every sentence. What was the first word in every sentence? I. Kisha The fundamental principle of happiness is, if everything is I, 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 you will never find it. And if you look very carefully at the first two chapters of Kohelet, you will see that Kohelet, in its first two chapters, uses the first person singular more than any other book in the whole of Tanakh. It uses a double first person singular. Kanitili, arsitili, banitili. Everything is for me. No wonder Kohel has found Avel Avalim Akol Avel. Everything's meaningless. Nothing makes me happy. Why? Because it's all for me. There was a great man called Viktor Frankl who always used to quote Kierkegaard. I wish I could quote Kierkegaard but he quoted Kierkegaard to the following, in the following sentence. I read through the complete works of Kierkegaard and could not find the following sentence. So I hope my attribution is correct, but I... <laughs> Viktor Frankl always used to quote Kierkegaard saying, the door to happiness opens outwards. If you want to be happy, focus on other people, not on on yourself. The door to happiness opens outwards. I once got into terrible trouble you can find this old balagan on the internet I once did a little tease Uh, never tell a joke in public because not everyone has a sense of humor I said "Our Moshe Rabbeinu in our age was the late Steve Jobs who came down the mountain holding in his hands the two tablets iPad 1, iPad 2 and I said Steve Jobs defined a generation iPod, iPad, iPhone, I, I, I that is our generation a generation of first person singular the I generation all the 50 million fans of the late Steve Jobs thought I was insulting his memory so I do apologize for this I just tried to explain to them I was telling a joke I um, happiness means caring for others working for others, loving others. And you have to focus on the you or on the we and not on the I. Focus on the I and you will recapitulate the life of Kohalas and find that however much you have, you miss the most important thing, which is happiness. So principle five, the door to happiness opens outwards. Principle six, coping with adversity. You will chas v'sham, but it's likely to happen. You will find there are times in your life when things do not go as you expected. When you suffer some kind of adversity. Bad things happen to good people. And the question is, how do you deal with those bad things? I want you to listen very carefully to this. The way to deal with adversity is to treat it the way Jacob treated the angel. I will not let you go until you bless me. Somehow the Jewish people learnt, not merely to survive catastrophe, but to grow through it. If you think about it, Churban Bayes brought about the renewal of Torah and the life of the Jewish people as symbolized by Ezra and Nehemiah Churban Bayes brought about the great writing down of the extraordinary literature of Torah Shebaal Midrash Mishnah Gemara the Crusades led to the Hasidah Ashkenaz the Spanish expulsion led to the mystics of Safat. even the Holocaust led a mere three years later to the Declaration of Independence of the State of Israel None of this answers the philosophical question of Tzadik Varela, but it does explain the way Jews responded to catastrophe. Lo ashalechecha If you hang in there, if you refuse to let go and carry on until you have turned that crisis into some new strength, new sense of purpose, new dedication, new energy, then you will find you can survive the worst catastrophes and grow stronger thereby. Anyone who has this attribute will look back on life and see that the moments that seemed really tough at the time turn out in retrospect to be the most important events in your life. And finally, the obvious, but nonetheless it's worth saying. Ezehuashiah hasomer Ben Zoma got it right. Who is happy? one who rejoices in what he has. We are living in an age in which advertisers, and every time you turn on the internet, it's advertising something. How do they do that? Every YouTube thing comes with a 30-second advertisement. If you can find ways of getting rid of them, I would deeply appreciate somebody telling me how. Every advertisement is designed to make you feel... That if I only had that, drove that, wore that, life would be somehow so much happier. The result is we have constructed an entire economy based on making us feel that we don't have that which would give us happiness. In other words, the contemporary consumer culture is the most sophisticated mechanism human beings have ever created for the creation and distribution of unhappiness. Think about it. It's, everything is shouting at us, be discontent with what you have so that you'll buy something else. And the truth is, Benzema just cuts through that whole thing and says, happiness isn't in out there in what you don't yet have. You already have all the ingredients for happiness. It's just that you need to open your eyes and see what you're surrounded by. I give this to you as a segula for Ari not that you even need to be thinking of such things. But there is a famous, uh, there are famous medical studies that show if you want to be healthy and live a long life, express gratitude. It is a segula for Ari Simply to get up every single morning and thank HaKadosh Baruch for opening your eyes, for clothing you, for giving you ground on which to stand, saying a hundred brachas a day, that in itself is the deep infrastructure of happiness. Friends, um, that in half an hour is the best thing I can do by way of telling you how to be happy. Just to repeat, number one, dream. Number two, explore. Number three, I've forgotten. Whatever it was. What was number three? Experiment. Number four, work hard. Number five, the door to happiness opens out with Number six, use adversity to grow. And number seven, give thanks. Friends, I will end by one little and very simple story. I once came across a Rebbe, a mentor that taught me how, um, how to um, negotiate life. This happened about ten years ago. I don't know, you, you, you invented them here in America, so you must know these things. ten years ago somebody new came into my life called a satellite navigation system you come across these things this is a machiah. you key in your destination and a very polite lady tells you how to get there she's a moradera I mean it's terrific absolutely an angel uh, uh, but what fascinated me was that whoever invented the satellite navigation system never in their lives met a Jewish driver because what you do is you key in your destination and this very polite lady says you go straight for 300 yards then you turn right and you know what happens you say this to a Jewish driver he says what does she know I've lived here for 50 years I know you go 300 yards and turn left and it is absolutely fascinating for me it was an education because I always got driven places by my protection officer to see what happened to this very polite lady when she does exactly what you asked her to do and then you proceed to ignore her instructions and I was thrilled, first of all she never lost her cool I never saw a satellite navigation system get angry with somebody who disobeyed its instructions Secondly, it went very quiet for a minute, and then it sent up a little sign saying recalculating the route, and then, lo and behold, it would show you how to get from the place that you, thanks to totally ignoring her instructions, managed to get yourself lost in, how to get from there to your destination. From this, I learned the greatest principle of hope I ever discovered in life, which is however lost you get. If you know where you want to be, there is a route from here to there. So I wish you every happiness, but continue to dream, continue to plot your destination, and may Hashem be your satellite navigation system. Thank you.